These special editions of the podcast are brought to you in association with Red Army Bet. We all follow United. Welcome to the latest special podcast brought to you from Oxford. We're still doing the bike ride. We're not that far from Manchester now. We're 106 kilometres into our, what's going to be our longest day. And we stopped because Jim White, who's been a frequent guest on this podcast, has fed us and looked after us. And with a couple of the other lads who are cycling, with John Paul O'Neill's here as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about Manchester United because cycle talk's probably going to bore you, but we've done about 1,500, 1,600 kilometres now. We crossed the, the channel. We stayed in Winchester last night and we had a really tough day with a couple of punctures um, going through Oxford towards Banbury. Then we're going to spend the night, Sunday night, around the Utoxeter area and then Monday afternoon we're going to get to Old Trafford. I cannot wait to have a day where I don't get on a bike. I'm serious. I've, we've had some tough, tough days and it's been hugely enjoyable and rewarding, but it's been very, very challenging. Um, most people listening to this will want to talk about Manchester United. done a couple of stories in recent days about Aaron Wambasaka. Everything written there is true. Uh, United want him. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer especially wants him. Uh, he, he said that when he played, Gary Neville would be rampaging forward and even if he didn't have the ball it was always an outlet for the team and he thinks that Wambasaka is one of the best young defenders in European football and United have been talking Ed Woodward Steve Parrish the main man at Crystal Palace uh, a bit of an impasse um, outline wages have been agreed and the 21 year old will see a sevenfold increase in his, in his wages and, um, fees have been talked uh, and then there's been a little bit of a, a radio silence from Manchester United's part. So whether that's a negotiating tactic or not, uh, or there's a plan B, remains to be seen. It's pretty. I can see that fans are a bit frustrated, but it's not unusual when a club is about to pay so much money, if they don't think there are other suitors, just to pull back a little bit and maybe spook the selling club into thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa we've got to... Uh, We've, we've better get shut here. And I know that Palace had a little wobble after Bissaka. Didn't have a great game for the under-21s. But that's pretty normal. He's used to the pace of Premier, Premier League uh, football. And oh, when we get back off this, I'm going to set off pretty soon on the pre-season tour to, to Australia. But the mood I see among fans is not good because the season finished so badly Jim you're a United fan you've written for United we stand for years you've written about United for years how do you feel at the moment about Manchester United about the way that the the season ended about where we are at the moment with with recruitment the mood stinks from as far as I can see and there are other side factors the success of Manchester City and Liverpool how do you what's your take well I think that uh, they um the decline after uh, Solskjaer was chosen as the permanent manager looked really, really bad from the outside. Um, I, 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 I buy his explanation that he was asking him to play at pace, he was asking him to close down quickly, and they weren't fit and they were all knackered. I, I'll accept that as an excuse. 
However, I believe there's a major rebuilding job that's required. And it's a major rebuilding job required that's almost beyond the resources at Manchester United. I don't mean that financially. They can afford anything they want to do. Um, but I, just in terms of their recruitment drive and campaign has been so poor in the last few years. It's been so headless chicken one direction then another that there's no coherence and plan and I think that Solskjaer's plan is bringing young hungry players that we can develop and uh, uh, Dan James being one uh, obviously Wan-Bissaka would be an excellent buyer and I, I can see there's a slight coherence going on there but it'll take time and you know those two players are not going to resolve anything they're going to need three four maybe even five other buys of similar ilk and it's going to be very, very, very expensive. De Ligt, I don't think, will be coming. I think it looks as though he's going for the big money to either Juve or uh, uh, PSG, which is a real shame. He would have been a great buy and certainly what United need. Um, but there's a long old haul up ahead. This, this, The whole club needs overhauling. Which areas do you think are priority? Needs a, needs a good centre-back. Um, if it looks as though Pogba's going to go, who knows? That's a decision. He needs a creative midfielder. Probably needs another forward, actually. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to see Jaden Sancho come in, but it looks as though his people have said, don't touch United with a barge pole. Can you blame him? Not really. If you want... Uh, if you want um, uh, a club that's going places and coherent and, and win things. No, you're not going to win anything at United for a while, I don't think. Would you be sad if Paul Pogba left? Um, not really. Uh, I, I, I think when, 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 when it went well under Solskjaer in those early days, it was all to do with Pogba. Pogba were, was absolutely the, the heart of creativity of that side. Um, but, you know, he's so in and out of form and so on. And, I, and I, 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 there was probably 10 games where he looked fantastic. I'll tell you what they ought to do if they want to get the best out of Paul Pogba is um, buy N'Golo Kante. It doesn't look as though he's that happy at Chelsea. Buying N'Golo Kante and you've got a new uh, Paul Pogba. When you see Jesse Lingard doing his social media videos, what do you think of them? I don't have any problem with them at all, but um, some people do. I mean, Lingard is... Lingard's an interesting player, isn't he? Because he's not a youngster anymore. He's not a kid messing around. And actually, I saw, I saw someone doing a comparison between uh, him and McTominay. McTominay sort of sweating hard and running hard and showing us there and, 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 and Lingard just making an arse of himself and maybe he needs to grow up a bit. You think Solskjaer's got it in him to be a long-term Manchester United manager? He's got a big job. He's been entrusted with a huge job. Um, I don't... I, I, I'm, I'm so optimistic that he could, but without any um, suggestion that he can. Um, I've no evidence that he can. I just hope he can. Um, he's an intelligent man. Uh, whether he's a strong enough man, I don't know. 
we shall see. I mean, you know, he's won a couple of things in, in Norway, so what else could he do? He, he, he organised them sufficiently. Um, but the problem is, you know, Liverpool and City have just got systems and managers and processes that are light years away from where United are. And, and I fear that Tottenham, with the money that's coming from their super stadium, may be keeping up with them and leaving United apart. And I'm not sure that Solskjaer is the man who is up at that level. Does Ed, Ed Woodward impress you? Sorry, I got, a, I got something in my ear there. I thought you said, D -d does Ed Woodward impress me? Come on, Andy. He's an idiot, isn't he? Don't you think? Has been for a long time. No, he doesn't impress me. Why is he an idiot? I think, well, I, I think he's a man who's in the wrong job and systematically has failed to deliver what he needs to deliver as CEO of the football club. Um, he was a banker who uh, was in the right place at the right time. But it's a very, very poor. I mean, just look at the number of duff players that United have bought under his watch. You know, you're talking about Falcao. Um, you're talking about Sanchez. Uh, talking about Schweinsteiger. Players who should have been at United 10 years previously. Um, and I, I remember him when they bought Schweinsteiger. This was a player who had been great, but clearly was only being let go by Bayern Munich because he was finished. Sort of looking as if he bought the crown jewels, you know. And it, it, it was anyone with a modicum of co common sense would see he was finished. I just don't think he's got any judgment of a player or indeed how to go and get a player. Were United right to dismiss Jose last season? Well, I was a big Jose fan, but uh, it was it was going very wrong. Um, it was going very, very wrong. So, um, you know, there was a toxic nature in the dressing room and I'm not quite sure what that was. What I couldn't quite understand about Jose Mourinho was, there was this ridiculous thing that he was got a bad every third year of his uh, managerial career would go wrong. If I was him, I'd have gone, right, sod the lot of you, I'm going to prove you all wrong and win the title. Instead, it just went from bad to worse. You've followed United for a long time. You've seen lots of lows. You've seen Manchester United relegated. Is this just part of the roller coaster, or are you seriously worried about the future of the club? Um, well... I can't... One of the fundamentals about, about United is the ownership. That is absolutely critical. It has been for 15 years. The ownership because um, if you look at Liverpool, you know, the Fenway Park people are, 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 are grasping mercenary capitalists, but they understand the sports business. The uh, city ownership is, is completely different. It is to do with uh, promoting on the international stage um, a, a, a country. And so therefore they're just going to pump money in and keep pumping money in. It's nothing to do with the business. United is owned by people whose entire uh, methodology is to extract as much as they can for 
as little uh, input. And that's the, that's the difference. And it starts from there. And so, you know, you look back at when it all went pear-shaped with Busby and, you, 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 you know, the, the, the ownership was not exactly um, uh, sophisticated in those days. Um, but they had a certain... Uh, they they were kind of located in the in the in the community. They 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 grown up from that. They've been earned their money locally, and so therefore, when United went wrong, the Edwards family it certainly played out for them socially. You know, they were getting getting um, uh, a hard time socially, and so on. And it's completely different for this lot. We appreciate the support of our sponsors, including Harry's. Harry's story is that for decades, one big razor company relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of their customers. So Jeff and Andy, two ordinary lads who were fed up with getting ripped off, started Harry's to fix shaving. Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. They're amazing quality blades, half the price of the leading five blade brand or well, what do you get with harry's harry's razors include everything you need for a close shave you get a weighted ergonomic handle five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade a rich shave gel and a travel blade cover we've got an offer for united we stand listeners where you can get started shaving with harry's today and claim a trial set for just £3.95. So you can support our podcast, get your trial set delivered to you, including the razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, a travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash united. Right now, that's harrys.com forward slash united. That was the first part of the podcast recorded just before we finished the bike ride off with Jim White, who writes for The Telegraph and obviously writes for United We Stand. And We finished the ride on, on Monday. We got to Old Trafford and we came round the corner from the Bishop Blaze onto some at Busby Way and we just saw hundreds of people waiting for us. So it was an absolute buzz. We were all shattered. We'd been on the road for 16 days. And on that 16th day, we saw that the total went through the £40,000 which we needed to buy the ambulance and it, it carried on rising and it's gone through £50,000 so all the extra money will go to St Anne's Hospice. The ambulance will serve the people of Greater Manchester. It's a fantastic hospice, they do great things in, in very trying circumstances and at the moment 1,063 people have put money in so we're totally overwhelmed. Our legs have been absolutely goosed but we feel it was worth doing it was really really hard thing to do i was i was vomiting profusely after the second day and thought about giving up i didn't want to but i spoke to a doctor and she said you, you need to rest but if i would have rested i would have missed the boat we were cycling every single day and we carried on and we had some good luck we had some good days if we were doing it a week later we would have hit a heat wave so that would have been difficult and then Back to Manchester and Ryan Giggs was waiting for us. Gave me shit as soon as he arrived. You've lost weight. Uh, Gary Neville was waiting for us. He also gave me shit. <laughs> Said, go on, get the violins out. The TV cameras are here. Tell them about your sad story. 
And Andy Cole was waiting for us as well. And he didn't give me any shit. He, he, uh, he's living in London now. And he came up and he hung around and he just said, whatever you want, whatever I can do to help. And I thought that was fantastic of him. Loads of people were, were speaking to him. And I think their presence just meant that media were interested and that helped raise the profile of what we were trying to do. And in turn, that attracted a bit um, a bit more publicity and, and hopefully money. Uh, I saw that Manchester United also, they were great with us, I've got to say. They gave us a, a lounge at Old Trafford. They put food on for a couple of hundred people and they didn't need to do any of that. And they did a, a piece about the bike ride. Um, four of us cycled the whole way. Um, my brother cycled nine days. One of our friends, Dan, cycled the last three days from Portsmouth and we had backup from Dave and Murph and the club did a piece about it on their website and it just got loads of abuse. I don't think it was aimed at us. It was because they hadn't tweeted for a couple of days and I think people were waiting for an announcement on a transfer and instead they just see a story about a bike ride and there was just a whole stream of glazer out abuse from uh, from people who call themselves United fans. So that was uh, interesting. Um, since then, Aaron Wambasaka has been signed, and I did a, a lot of research when it looked like it was going through, and I spoke to people who were very close to the deal, and they said that, and these are professional people in football, whose job it is to, to watch players very closely, and they said he's a brilliant defender, he's fast, he's, one of them said he's built like a 400 metre runner, you cannot get past him, his, his acceleration, uh, is his words were he's the best young defender, uh, fullback in Europe. But and there is a but going forward, it says he needs to improve on his distribution, his crossing. I know that Oli Gunnar, and I said it earlier in the podcast, was driving this uh, transfer through. And United need to bring more players in, but I'm still quite encouraged by this young, fast British buying. I won't say policy because. I don't think it is, but I think there's a chance of giving United some identity uh, with Dan James and if a couple more come in. And Dean Henderson's a very good goalkeeper. Uh, Axel Tuanzebe looks very promising. Mason Greenwood. I don't mind being patient. I'm waiting for improvement because the previous transfer policy was failing. Uh, signing your Schweinsteigers and your Falcals, it just wasn't working at all. And I don't mind waiting. If I see... Um, players getting better uh, I don't expect Dan James to come in and be have the impact that Cristiano Ronaldo did as an 18 year old but I've spoken to people whose job it is to know about these well one of them Ryan Giggs <laughs> he's his manager for Wales and he was he just said he's absolutely rapid and he knows him far better than I do his job is to work in professional football so it'd be great to give these lads a chance clearly United need to ship some players out because uh, there are players still there on, on bloated contracts and you do wonder what future somebody like Marcus Rojo has as a Manchester United player. But if they're sat on big contracts and no one wants them, how do the club get rid of them? And this is another failure of United because they've, they've rewarded um, mediocre performances and the club has become known as one which pays big. But players have often arrived and become worse. And that's not great either. And all that has fed into 
the current mood which we've seen and this glazes out trending and I watched it from a distance because I was on my, my bike ride and I had several thoughts on it. Uh, it's not a new thing, this. Pretty much every issue of United We Stand has had an article about the Glazers since 2004. I can remember speaking to David Gill about them in Chicago in 2004. They're not popular owners. They're never going to be popular owners. My view is that the takeover should never have been allowed to have happened. And... It was, I remember, in the autumn of 2005, going to Parliament with three or four of the United fans and speaking to people from the departure of media and culture. And they just said, look, we, we sympathise strongly with the predicament of Manchester United fans, but we're going to send a letter and uh, actually there's not a lot we can do. The, the Glazers didn't break any rules. And three years later Manchester United won the European Cup now we know Sir Alex Ferguson was a genius in extracting the best out of talents and the, the Glazers have uh, on one hand they've definitely realised Manchester United's commercial appeal and it, it, it wasn't being realised to the same extent and by that they drew up the world into geographic zones, they went to uh, wine companies in, in, in Chile or noodle companies in, in Japan and they struck individual deals and lots of clubs replicated that. They copied United and even now they're playing catch-up. Even Barcelona, even Real Madrid and certainly even Liverpool. United have failed on the pitch but commercially they've been very successful and you wonder why and how they can continue to be successful if they finish in six and the football's as poor as it's been in recent years. There's got to be an effect there. And we've seen peaks and troughs of resentment against uh, the Glazers and doesn't always correlate with, with team results. I can remember the green and gold in 2010 and yet even then I saw people buying green and gold scarves and then going into the mega store and spending a fortune. Uh, the Manchester swag workers, they did very well out of the green and gold and it, and it highlighted the unease which fans felt with the, the owners but little more than that. And then some people uh, went to watch FC United, a couple of thousand. They were getting crowds of up to 4,000 at, at one point. And some people have continued to carry on watching FC. They, they've been a, pretty much a success story, although they went down at the end of last season. But they've got a really nice ground in Moston, in East Manchester. But for the main, I don't think, sadly, that most people care who owns their football club. Football is a release for them. It's a break from uh, normality, from the normal lives. And if people felt that strongly about it, Old Trafford would not have been full for almost every single game after 2005. If people felt so strongly about the Glazers, then they wouldn't go and ask them for photos when they see them on European away trips or on pre-season tours. And I've seen both of them. Uh, they're not popular. They probably know they're not popular. They're absolutely right not to do any media. Their situation isn't helped because of the excellence of Manchester City's team. And they're funded by a totally different way. How can anyone compete with that? Or Liverpool, who, as Jim said, are owned by capitalists, but they seem to have a better understanding of the sports business. And United have got the second highest wage bill in world football at the moment. Much as I am no fan of the Glazers' ownership, I don't think United need to be owned by anyone. The club's big enough to function itself. They don't need debt. This can be like Barcelona or Real Madrid. 
You don't need the support of a, of a, a sovereign nation wealth fund. Manchester United should be on by, by the supporters, but that's not the case. And nor is there a plan B. So when I see protests being muted, uh, I, I watched and I thought, well, who's behind this? Who are these people? And it seemed to be driven by anonymous people on social media. And I thought, okay, all right, you've got, you've got your, your, your issue here. Um, but why now? Because I didn't see any protest calls after United had beaten Paris on March the 6th. So is this results driven? Because originally when people were against the Glazers, the worries were more about ticket prices. And they were right because they shut up, and, up until 2010. They've calmed a bit uh, since. And it culminated in a so-called protest on Saturday outside Old Trafford, which was pitifully attended. And it showed to me that social media does not translate into real life. I know a lad who was being hectored for owning a season ticket and for renewing it by people who he felt had never even been to a Manchester United game. And he went back to them and said, well, are you going to the protest on Saturday? And he didn't get a reply from any of them. And clearly they weren't. And match-going fans absolutely despise being told what to do by people who don't go to games. And there are divisions among United's fan base. There is, it's fractious. It always has been. A lot of United fans, they don't actually like each other. And all this were one red family. That's nonsense. You know, people have their cliques. It's tribalism split into tribes. And that's very evident in the way that the, the, the Glazer out hashtag has played out. And I, I don't think that any good has really come from it in the last week. Because what's the plan B? If there's Red Knights waiting to take over, United supporting people with a few quid, great. But, but there's not. And if this is just being brought about um, primarily because of the recruitment and the bad end to the season then that's hardly a fundamental uh, point where United fans should be acting on a point of principle. And I think if you're going to protest, you need an army to protest. And I don't have a lot of faith in people, in clicktivism, in people just clicking glazers out and doing little more than that and clearly not showing up feet on the ground because in the mid-noughties, there are a lot of people showing up. Some of their meetings had thousands of people there. People put a lot of time into them. I can remember being part of uh, hostage holders of season tickets against gross exploitation in the early 90s and a meeting was called at Lancashire Cricket Club and it was packed to the rafters. There was 1,600 people there. But the calls have to come from the right people. In real life, people who are credible, people who uh, people who people can vouch for people who can be scrutinised, people who can say, well, I trust him or I don't trust him or he's been around for a while. And that doesn't happen on social media. And I see people on social media with thousands of followers and I think, whoa, you're, living, you're leading a little bit of a lie there. But that doesn't matter to a lot of the people following them because they don't know the nuances. And when you call a protest and no one attends, that just shows the disconnect between social media and, and reality. I don't expect the mood to pick up any time soon among United fans. I think new signings will help. Uh, the pre-season will start. I'm going to head off this week to Australia. I've got the games in Perth 
against Inter and against Perth Glory. Perth's got a huge United Supporters Club. There's a massive Mancunian expat population. Um, we'll get some of them on the podcast. And I know a lot of the lads, they, they put time in travelling to matches. They turned up in Shanghai in 2016 because it was only an eight-hour flight from Perth. And it's interesting that so many Mancunians live in Perth and we'll definitely be speaking to some of them. I, I'm I'm not optimistic that United are going to come close to winning the league this season, but I quite like the idea of young, hungry signings with the right attitude who can learn and can be shaped into top Manchester United footballers. The reality might be different, and my optimism levels are much lower given what we've suffered in the last couple of years. I'd love Oli Gunnar to work out. I like him. Uh, I think he's got the best intentions. He doesn't have the experience of some of the best managers in the world, but we'll back him. And I think he deserves a support. The worry is that he can't get the team out of the slump, and it was one hell of a slump towards the end of last season. It was dreadful. But then it was dreadful towards the end of Mourinho's second season and Van Hal's second season as well. The football was awful. We've been watching crap for a long time at Manchester United now. And I think the club also needs to be strong with some of the players, demanding massive amounts for transfer renewals and send out messages that they're not an easy touch. It's not just about money. Yeah, we can pay you top dollar, but also you've got to achieve. We're not rewarding failure. Manchester United have failed. They've failed badly. And that's why we're looking into the Europa League as the European competition for us this year. Again, I've got mixed feelings about that. I've, I really enjoyed the run to Stockholm in 17 and going to places like St Etienne, who don't go in the Champions League. Uh, Fenerbahce, they do go in the Champions League. Final, that was a, a good trip. Vigo was fantastic. And I remember that night in Vigo thinking, Man United are going places here. This, this Rashford looks good. Paul Pogba looks excellent. They look physically really strong and it just petered out. So I'll embrace the idea of the Europa League. It's not the Champions League. But what would United have done in the Champions League this year? Stumbled through and then got battered by a decent team as he did with Barcelona. The team is not ready for that for that yet. Uh, we're going to work on the, the mag. We'll be at all the pre-season games. We plan on doing the podcast. And I'll be going to Perth, uh, to Singapore, playing against Inter. Uh, Oslo. Uh, against uh, Christian Sund from uh, Oli Gunnar's uh, hometown and we'll be speaking to the usual people that we have on, the journalists, the fans, the former players and we've got a few podcasts coming up in, in, recent, in, in forthcoming weeks that are of interest uh, as well and we'll be working on the mag, the first mag will be out against Chelsea at Old Trafford on August the 11th or 12th, it's our 30th season and we shall crack on, and we've got the website as well. Don't forget, we have little bits of info which we, which we put on today. Until next time, goodbye.